count on you. All right, so our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 9. Um, it's, it's kind of a lot, but I think we have it on the screen for you so you can follow along. This is the story of the conversion of Saul, and we're going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, that is, the way of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked his name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. I want to tell you a story this morning about a man named John. John was born in 1725. His father was a sailing ship captain and his mother was a Christian, which in many ways tells the story of John's life. At home, his mother tried to teach him the faith. She made him say his prayers each day. She made him memorize Bible verses. But when John was only six years old, his mother died. And so he was sent to live with some relatives who, unlike his mother, they had rejected the Christian faith. Uh, in fact, they were hostile to it. They despised the Bible, and they mocked Christian people. And so that was the environment in which John spent the rest of his early formative years. 
A few years later, John ran away to sea. He signed on to one ship and then to another, and he became a sailor. And he was wild, as some sailors in that time were wont to be. He was rowdy, and he was rough around the edges, and he had a mouth full of foul language. It was said of John that he could swear for two straight hours without ever repeating himself. Ooh. So eventually, John was forced to enlist in the British Navy, but he quickly deserted. And as he ran away from his obligation to the Navy, he was finally captured. And as punishment, he was beaten in public in front of other people. At that time, John's thoughts vacillated between murder and suicide. And he would write later that he had shame about that saying, I was capable of anything. So after some time, John joined the Merchant Marines, and he went to Africa. And while he was in Africa, he fell in with the company of a terrible man, a Portuguese slave trader. The man and his wife treated John terribly. They forced him to grovel in the dirt. They forced him to eat his dinner off of the ground like a dog. They would beat him. They would ridicule him. Sometime later, John was weak. And he was emaciated, and he was thankfully picked up by a British ship that was headed up the coast to England. And when the ship's captain learned that the young man knew something about navigation because of his time in the Navy, he made John the ship's mate. But even then, John found trouble. Uh, one day when the captain was ashore, John broke into the ship's supply of rum, and he got the whole crew intoxicated. And he himself was so far gone that when the captain returned and hit him in the head, he was knocked overboard and he would have drowned in the water, except that one of his mates came and pulled him out of the water and saved him, brought him back on board. Near the end of the voyage, as they were approaching Scotland, the ship ran into bad weather and it was blown off course and water began to pour into the boat and they all thought that the ship was going to sink. So they sent John down into the hold to try to pump the water out and the water was coming in. He was trying to pump it out and something came over him. He feared for his life in that moment and perhaps he had some kind of regret for the way that he had lived. And this hard-living and foul-mouthed sailor cried out, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And John's desperate cry was a hint of the transformation that would eventually happen in his life. And yet his trouble was far from over because sometime after that day, John became the captain of a slave ship. And his route went something like this. Uh, from England, he went to Africa where he would anchor off the coast. And tribal chiefs would bring dozens and dozens and hundreds of men and women, usually who were uh, prisoners of war, captured when one tribe uh, took another tribe by force. And he would sell these people to John and to his crew. And in exchange, John would pay them with weapons and with metal and with liquor and with cloth. And so from there, John sailed with as many as 600 slaves aboard his ship. And he sailed across the Atlantic Ocean's infamous Middle Passage and on his way to the Americas. And there he delivered and sold his human cargo in exchange for sugar and molasses. And then it was back to England to deliver the goods and then on to Africa again. And that's the way it went for several years, four years of this, until John suffered a stroke and he had to give up the slave trade. 
And it was then God used that illness, that time of his life, to show him God's truth, to show him the reality of God's love for him. And it was then that John began to pursue the God that he had called on in the midst of that storm. It was then that John began to rekindle the faith that he had learned from his mother so many years previous. And he took a job as a surveyor in Liverpool. And John met a a young evangelical preacher by the name of George Whitfield. And he met a couple of brothers by the name of John and Charles Wesley. And they brought him into their community and they shared with him the love and the power of God to transform his life. And eventually, this former slave trader became a preacher. He started off as a lay minister and eventually he was ordained as a, as a clergy person in the Church of England. And John was a success in the parish. He had a huge following. He was known for his excellent pastoral care. Uh, He was known for his friendships with people inside the church and outside the church. Uh, His preaching drew lots of people in so much that they had to add extra chairs in the back in order to accommodate all the people who were coming to hear him proclaim the good news. John had an effect on other clergy as well. Uh, You probably don't know this, but sometimes clergy tend to get cynical. And the, the cynical people around John, their lives were transformed because of John's witness, because they saw in him something genuine and honest, and they developed a genuine and faith of their own, and they came to appreciate the good news of the Scripture. Many people sought John's advice and his counsel, and among them was a promising young member of Parliament by the name of William Wilberforce. Maybe you know the name William Wilberforce, because he also worked in the slave trade. And in his conversations with John, he came to regard that part of his life as a shame and as sin and as an offense to God and his fellow man. And so together they worked to abolish the slave trade, to abolish the practice of selling and buying human beings. And part of John's effort was a little book he wrote called Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade. And it was part social advocacy and part public confession. He was trying to to teach people the evils of this practice on the one hand, but on the other hand, he was confessing his sin before the world and saying, this is who I have been, and please learn from me because I have done something awful. I have committed these awful sins against God and against my fellow human being. He described the awful conditions that the slaves endured on his boats, and in the book, he wrote this confession. He said, a confession which comes too late, it will always be a subject of humiliation to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. So John was getting older and his sight was beginning to fail him, but that didn't keep him from his work. He couldn't read his Bible, but he could could still preach the word. And so even up until his last year on earth, John preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. John had lived a long but a very hard life, and so with his body weakened by illness and by injury, he was practically blind, his mind was failing him. John said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. One, that I am a great sinner, and two, that Jesus is a great and merciful Savior. In December of that year, John died, and the epitaph on his tombstone says, once an infidel A servant of slaves in Africa was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored. 
to destroy. Welcome back to the fifth week and final week in our series called Unleashed. All this month we've been talking about what happens when the Spirit of God is unleashed on the people of God. What happens when we are unleashed and sent out into the world to announce the good news of Jesus Christ for people who need to hear that good news and be invited in and become a part of the family of God. During this series, we've talked about all kinds of things. And if you happen to miss any of the sermons in July, I want to invite you to go back and listen to the ones that you missed. You can find them on our website, uh, which is TimberlakeUMC.org. And you can go to the sermon archives there and listen to any sermon you may have missed. Uh, During this series, we talked about uh, making disciples of Jesus Christ, that that's our mission. We talked about the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what God can do. uh, Kind of compared to like a, a stick of dynamite being tossed into our laps. Right? Uh, we talked about what it would mean for us to be bold in our faith. Uh, we talked last week about the importance of welcoming outsiders so that they could become part of the community of faith. These are the kinds of things that God can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today we need to add one more thing to the list of the things that God can do, and that is to change our lives. God can change our lives. God can transform your life and my life and the lives of all the people that God has made. The story we told about John, the slave trader turned preacher, reminds us of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. It reminds us that no matter what we have done in this life, no matter what we have failed to do, God can and will forgive us. God can and will still accept us. God can and will still desire a relationship with us through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the story like John's reminds us that no matter what we've done, God can take it and use it for good. And we have a word for that. We call it redemption. Redemption. The word redemption means taking something bad and transforming it into something good. My friends, that's God's specialty. That is what God is best at is taking the awful parts of our lives and transforming them and using them for good, for God's purposes. That's what God wants to do with you today. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purposes. I love that it says all things, not just a few things, not just the good stuff, not just the stuff that we'd like to show to our neighbors and hide the rest. No, it says all things. God uses all things to work them together for good, for our goodness, for the goodness of God's kingdom, for all those who are called according to God's own purposes. And as we can see in John's story, the power of God's grace can turn those who labor to destroy the faith into those who preach the faith for others. And John is not the only one. We already read a story about another person like that. His name was Saul. Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, That's an interesting way to put it. He was breathing it. Uh, He was saying it. He was doing it. He was arresting and jailing and killing people who followed Jesus Christ. Uh, On on the church's uh, most wanted list, you know, he was public enemy number one. He was the most despised person in the Christian community because he pursued them with this kind of dogged determination. Saul had made it his life's goal 
to ruin this new community that sprang up because of Jesus Christ. And so nobody wanted a piece of this guy. Everybody avoided him at all costs, and he took great pleasure in that. You know, if you can imagine the most evil person from the, the most powerful movie you know, this, this henchman who takes great pride in oppressing and hurting and killing other people, that was Saul. That was Saul, and he would brag about it when he got together with his Pharisee buddies about all the people that he had hurt and arrested and killed. He went as far, as the story says, as obtaining letters from the high priest, and it was sort of like an arrest warrant. So he would say, ah, I've got this letter. That means I can arrest you and throw you in jail. And he persecuted Christians in every way that he could. And so he was on his way to, to, to Damascus, persecuting Christians, except that Jesus was tired of it. Jesus was tired of Saul's attitude and his behavior, and Saul was going along, and as he came near to Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone on him, and the story says that he fell to the ground. I wonder if you can imagine a light that is so powerful that it knocked you to the ground. And he's laying on the ground, and a voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And now Jesus has Saul's attention uh, and it's interesting that he called his name twice. Uh, do you remember when mom or dad called your name twice? Uh, that meant, hey, they want your attention, right? You're in big trouble. Or when they use the first name together with the middle name. You know, I used to get Bradley Adam. That meant I was in big trouble. I was in big trouble. Now, hearing the voice from out of nowhere, seeing this great light, Saul laying on the ground, he says, who are you? And the voice came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And now with this confession from Jesus, we learn two really important things. First, Saul sees that Jesus is not dead, he's alive. Okay, so this is shortly after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And as far as Saul and the Jews knew, all oh, that Jesus who died, oh, he's still dead. No, he's very much alive. He's very much alive, and he's now appeared to Saul. And the second thing we learn from this is Jesus says... I am he whom you are persecuting. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you're persecuting my people. Hey, quit persecuting my church. He's saying, you are persecuting me. Jesus identifies himself with his followers. He identifies himself with the church in the, the, the way that a hero kind of says, hey, you mess with them, you mess with me. That's what Jesus is doing. He's standing up for his church. He's standing up for his followers. He's identifying himself with the suffering and with the least and with those who are oppressed by Saul and others. And so Saul, in the midst of this, this one who was so powerful and strong and intimidating, he is utterly powerless. He's so weak. He can't even see. He lays there on the ground. His arrogant strength has been turned into weakness in the light of Jesus Christ, whose own power is not to harm, but to heal and to change and to transform and to make all things new. The story says the Saul is blind, and so now his physical condition mirrors his spiritual condition. Now, maybe you've never been physically blind, but maybe you've been spiritually blind. Maybe you've lost your way before. Maybe you've had a sense that, wow, God feels far away, and we know the truth. It wasn't God who moved <laughs> Right? It was us. It was us. And we've all experienced that kind of spiritual blindness. Saul had seemed to have no awareness, no idea that the God he was persecuting was the same God that he claimed to worship 
You see, Saul would go to the temple to worship God on the Sabbath day, just like all the other faithful Jews. And then every other day of the week, he would persecute Christians, not realizing that it was the same God that he professed to worship who was reaching out to this world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Saul couldn't see it. He couldn't see it. He was blind. He was blind. And on the road to Damascus, he lost his sight physically. So now he has to depend on the help of others to get to the place where he's going. And so they took him to the house, uh, Judas's house, on, on Straight Street. And he, the story says that for three days he ate nothing, and for three days he drank nothing, and for three days he was blind. Now, of all people, you followers of Jesus know that a lot can happen in three days, right? And the third day holds a promise that we might have said, oh, that's, that's too good to be true. You know, that, that couldn't possibly happen. Now, meanwhile, God is at work in the life of another person there in Damascus, and that is a man named Ananias. Ananias was a follower of the way, a disciple of Jesus, and a vision comes to Ananias, a dream perhaps. God speaks to him and says, Ananias, I need you to go and find this fellow Saul. He's staying over on Straight Street. I have shown him a vision that you are going to come, that you are going to lay your hands on him so that he can regain his sight. And how does Ananias feel about this particular call from the Lord? He's not too excited about it. Why not? Because he knows who Saul is. He knows that Saul is the lead persecutor of his own people. He knows that Saul has been persecuting and arresting and jailing and murdering his companions in the faith. And so Ananias says, whoa, Lord, are, are you sure? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe you're thinking of the wrong Saul. Maybe it's a different Saul. And God says, no, you know, this is the one. This is the one. I'm going to use him for my own purposes. And Ananias says, are you sure? Can, can I do something else? Maybe, uh, maybe I could serve you in some other way, Lord. Maybe I could drive the church bus. You know, maybe I could, I could play in the handbell choir. Uh, you know, maybe I could help out with a potluck. And God says, no, this is, this is what I want you to do, Ananias. And so reluctantly, maybe afraid, he goes and he enters the house and he lays his hands on Saul. And he said this, listen to this. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to miss the irony of this part of the story. Did you hear what he calls him? Brother. This is a guy who tried to murder him. And he laid his hands on him to heal him. And he called him brother. That is the transformative power of the grace of God. For Saul, for Ananias, for you, for me. Luke writes that immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. The one who was blind can now see. Except he doesn't see the same as before. Now he sees differently. Now he sees with new eyes. Now the world that was before in black and white is now full of color and full of new things and full of promise. Saul, the one who was baptized, is now marked as forgiven by God. This public enemy number one of God's people is now going to be used as God's number one servant. 
commissioned and sent out to preach the gospel. Luke, uh, who wrote the book of Acts, says that immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. In other words, he went back to all of his Pharisee friends and he said, uh, hey guys, I was wrong. I was wrong. This Jesus who we all hated, uh, he's the one, actually. He's the Messiah. He's the one that we have been anticipating all these years. We, remember when we said God is going to send the one to save Israel? He's the one. It's Jesus. I was wrong. Jesus is right. He, he's, he's the one. Saul went around to the synagogues and proclaimed. Now, they knew what kind of man that he had been. They knew what kind of things that he had done. But as he stood before them, he proclaimed Jesus is the Messiah. Saul had gone from a persecutor of the way to the one who is himself on the journey. He had gone from one who opposed Jesus to serving Jesus as his Lord. He had gone from one who uses violence to uses the power of the spoken word. And he will go from being called Saul to being called, do you know? Paul. Paul. You may recognize the name Paul, the author of so much of the New Testament scriptures. Paul, the sinner saved by grace who would go on to proclaim God's grace for all people. Paul, who would endure shipwrecks and imprisonment and isolation, all for the glory of the risen Lord. Not unlike the change in Paul's life is the one experienced in John's life. He went from slave ship captain to preacher. He went from abused and abusive to full of compassion and love. He went from self-serving to serving others and so how do we explain this kind of transformation? Well, John explained it in the words of a song that he wrote. He said this, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John is uh, John Newton, the author of the song that we love so much, Amazing Grace, and by God's amazing grace, a slave trader became a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, the greatest persecutor the church had ever known became one of the greatest champions and leaders and servants of the church to this day. That's what God's grace can do. I wonder what God's grace can do in your life. You see, when we walk through those doors on Sunday morning, each of us comes with something on our heart, something in our mind, something that we carry. And I don't know what it is, and we usually don't want to write it on a sign and hold it up for everyone to see, do we? But here's the thing, my friends. God knows what that is, and you know what that is. And no matter what that is, it cannot keep you from the love of God. The power of God's grace is to overcome whatever it is that burdens you today. I want to invite you. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. And I want to invite you, if you feel so led, if the Spirit moves you, come forward. Let me pray for you. Let us lay hands on you. A couple of our leaders will be up here to receive you. We want to invite you to come, to bring whatever it is that's on your heart, whatever it is that troubles you today, and come and share it. Come, let us pray for you. You can share as much or as little of your life with us as you like. And as we sing together, we want to pray for you. Dear friends, come as you're led. Mm -hmm.